Walters is open Monday through Friday starting at noon for lunch, midday baseball watching, and Euro 2020. So if you find yourself around the ballpark during the day, make sure you walk on over to Walters. Tuesday night, come hang out with Tim Shovers as he sets up shop at Walters for the series opener in Philadelphia. First three pod listeners to come get a free Nats Chat t-shirt. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's the pitch. Swing a line drive, base hit left field, down the line, toward the corner. Burrow rounding first, heading for second. It's a double for Gerardo Parra. Here's the 0-1. Swing a fly ball, well hit left field. Back on this one, Smith toward the track, near the wall, and it's off the top of the wall. a two-run shot, his third of the day, number 18 of the season. Nationals 5, Mets 2, his first career three-home run game. And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, June 21st, 2021, along with Nats insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast, a homestand that was lengthy, ends up being great, a four-game series that was crucial, ends up going about as well as could have reasonably been expected. The Nats beat the National League East leading New York Mets at Nationals Park 5-2 on Sunday afternoon to take three of four in the series. The Nats end up going 8-3 and on an 11-game homestand that also featured a four-game series against the best team in the National League so far this season, the San Francisco Giants. The Nats, my friends, are rising. They have won 9 of 12. They are up to 33-36 and on the season. The Nats now are five games behind the Mets. Mark, if the Nats end up contending this season, I do believe we will look back upon this homestand as the turning point. So maybe I'm just still awash in the glow of legitimately a magical Sunday Father's Day at the ballpark. Gerardo Parra, baby shark, 30,000 fans, three homers by Kyle Schwarber, a curtain call. Maybe I'm just still feeling it, but I'm telling you something. Something's going on here. This was different. This one felt important. Now, who knows? Maybe a week from now, we're going to look back and say they haven't won a game since. They still can't drive in a run over the scoring position, and it was all for naught. But this felt to me like not just a nice week, but the start of something bigger. And we'll see. We'll see where it goes from here. 
but they did everything you could ask of them during this homestand. And again, they did it without Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, or Daniel Hudson. There is something going on here. There's a good vibe. And who knew it just took the return of Gerardo Parra and Kyle Schwarber hitting leadoff to turn this whole thing around. Kyle Schwarber is Babe Ruth right now. It really is something else to see. He is on fire to an extent that few people ever are on fire. It has been awesome. Before we get to that, though, it is so funny how these things play out. So this was the first series, right, in which 100% capacity at Nationals Park was permitted since the pandemic. And truth be told, the attendances throughout the homestand fluctuated. I I never really wanted to make a big deal out of it because we're just getting going here. And so, you know, you you can't go nuts fixating on every attendance figure for every home game coming out of the pandemic. But the peak attendance number was, in fact, for this game on Sunday afternoon. The Nats got to 30,000 plus for the first time this season, 30,371 fans. In a lot of ways, you could not have scripted it much better in terms of giving the home fans something to truly get excited about. I mean, we've discussed this, how no team has been robbed of having won a World Series championship like the Nats have in terms of enjoying the fallout from that, right? No fans in attendance in 2019. No fans in attendance in 2020. Limited attendance to begin the 2021 season. Now, finally, you can have 100% capacity. And finally, It feels like the stars align properly for the Nationals, where on the day on which you get a peak attendance number as fans are welcomed back at full capacity, you put forth a game like what the Nats did on Sunday. That's some good juju working in your favor. Yeah. So, look, this was essentially the lead to my story on MassInSports.com that, you know, officially the first ball game here at Nationals Park since the World Series, it took place last summer. And it was opening night with the Yankees in attendance, but there were no fans in attendance. And so it didn't really feel like much of anything. They raised the banner. Honestly, it was sad because of the circumstances, everything else about it. It was sad. And we know how the rest of that season went. And then officially, you know, the first game this year that had fans in front of them was the opener against the Braves. That was delayed by a week again because of the COVID outbreak. It was still only 4,800 fans who were here. It was a fun game. They walked them off. I remember we talked about afterwards how exciting it was. But in hindsight, that was nothing. (laughs) That really wasn't anything compared to what we had become used to. And so for me, this game here, this was the 69th home game at Nationals Park since the World Series. And to me, this is the day that baseball returned. It was an energetic crowd. It was a celebration. And it peaked there for about five minutes in the bottom of the seventh when you could not have a better confluence of events come together for this fan base and for this team. And it starts with Gerardo Parra stepping into the on-deck circle for the first time in two years. Baby Shark playing and the crowd getting into it. Parra doubling. Let's point this out. The key here is he delivered. He didn't go up there and strike out on three pitches. He got a rally started with a double. And then Kyle Schwarber, who had already hit two homers, who's already hit eight homers on the homestand, you're not thinking he can do it again, right? No, he does it again. Third home run. I'm telling you, the energy in the ballpark was incredible as he got his curtain call. That was the best five minutes for any sport, any team in this town in 20 months. I feel confident in saying that. It was fantastic. And so to me, it all started here on Sunday. This is the beginning of it now. It's amazing, too, how the homestand started a one nothing loss to the Giants on Friday night, June 11th, a game in which Max Scherzer only lasts for a third of an inning and 12 pitches. You say to yourself, my God, can anything go well for the Nationals this season? And the homestand ends in a much different way. Oh, what a difference 
a week plus can make. And the Nationals right now are flying. And in this National League East, which remains so underwhelming, I don't think anyone is fearing the Mets coming out of the series. The Nats very much are in this thing. Now, they got to keep it going. And the schedule does not get any easier. We're going to find out if the Nats are legit over the course of the next few weeks here. Because after the off day on Monday, the Nats don't have another off day, scheduled anyway, until the All-Star break. And it's one good team after another. Same for a series that's coming up against the Miami Marlins. So we will know come the All-Star break to what extent the Nats are legit. But they're looking more and more legit, especially with this 8-3 and homestand. So Kyle Schwarber, in a season in which Davey Martinez has tinkered and tinkered and tinkered with the lineup, I do believe we finally have settled on, at the very least, a top three in this Nationals lineup. Schwarber one, Turner two, Soto three. Kyle Schwarber was outstanding over the final two games of this series. It is remarkable. I, I still can't believe these are the numbers, but five home runs over the final two games of the series, nine home runs over the course of this 11-game homestand. Here's all you need to know. Kyle Schwarber over the final 10 games of the homestand. Forget about all 11 games. Schwarber over the final 10 games of the homestand raised his slugging percentage for the season by 114 points. (laughs) That's almost unheard of. He went from slugging 404 on the season to now slugging 518 on the season. That is jaw-dropping when you think about that. I mean, people talk about, like, who should be an all-star on the Nationals and, you know, Trey Turner's getting a lot of love and, you know, a few others have come up. I think it's time we talk about Kyle Schwarber as potentially being all-star worthy on the Nationals. And, of course, Mark, three home runs in this game on Sunday. You know, we have seen guys get white hot for the Nats in the past. This is some kind of run, though, that he's on right now. It's arguably the best. And, in fact, uh, according to Elias Sports Bureau, it's the most home runs any national has ever hit in a single homestand. Now, it's an 11-game homestand, so they don't have that many of those in their history. But the previous record was six by Adam LaRoche in 2012 and Bryce Harper in 2015. So, I mean, he didn't just barely top that. He he surpassed it by leaps and bounds. He already broke it in the first inning of this game. So, to me, this was as impressive a homestand for any one individual player as maybe we've ever seen. And because of the timing of it and what it meant to the team at a time when Turner and Soto and Bell are not really delivering the way you were expecting them to, he lifted this offense. I mean, look, if not for Kyle Schwarber, we're talking about yet another game in which the Nats were atrocious with runners in scoring position. But we're not going to talk about that today because of Kyle Schwarber and what he did. So, I mean, he lifted this team and especially this lineup on his back over the last 11 games, but especially the last two. And these are important games. They needed to win these games over the first place Mets to start to make this statement, start to creep up in the standings and show that they actually do have something legitimate going on. You mentioned all-star game. I don't know if he's going to make it there, but at the very least, they got to try to push him to do the home run derby, right, at Coors Field. I mean, he was asked about it after Saturday's game, and he kind of laughed and said, it's not really on my radar right now. But he pointed out how much fun he had doing it here at Nats Park in 2018 when he took Bryce Harper down to the finals. If ever there was someone who would seem to embrace that idea of going to Coors Field, of all places, participating in the Home Run Derby with Shohei Otani and who knows who else, it might be him. We'll find out here maybe in the next week or so. But a remarkable performance and did it on a bum knee, which we didn't quite realize at the time. It's still bothering him. This is from like almost three weeks ago. He landed on it trying to make a diving catch in Atlanta. And it turns out it has been bothering him here and there. And it was bothering him in this game. And that's why he came out of the game why Parra replaced him in left field for the final two innings. That seemed like a little bit of an odd move because it's not something they've done a lot, replace him for defense. 
And especially in still a close game, you're worried his spot might come up again. And it turns out it was bothering him enough that after the third homer, he said, I think I need to take the rest of the day off. So he didn't just do this feeling 100%. He did this feeling less than 100%. And that's really remarkable. Yeah, and I'll add another thing to it. The first two homers by Schwarber on Sunday came off Taiwan Walker, who A, had been great so far this season, and B, came into the game having been one of the better starting pitchers in baseball this season when it came to avoiding the home run. Taiwan Walker entered this game on Sunday allowing just 0.4 home runs per nine innings in 68 innings over 12 starts this season. So I give Schwarber a ton of credit for that. And let me give the Nationals credit because I was all over them for struggling big time against two bad Mets starting pitchers earlier in this series, Joey Lucchese in game one on Friday night, David Peterson in that uh, initial game of the doubleheader on Saturday. Well, you faced a very good starting pitcher on Sunday and you got to him. The Nats took it to Taiwan Walker in this game. I mean, Walker comes into the game at ERA at 212 on the season, and the Nats end up uh, getting to him to the tune of four runs in six into third innings. So great job by the Nats in hitting a good starting pitcher. Schwarber was awesome. He should never leave that number one spot the rest of the season. I think that's as clear as can be right now. With Gerardo Parra, so the double is clearly a magical moment. I mean, baseball really is something else, right? I mean, Gerardo Parra is re-signed by the Nats this past February to a minor league contract. He underwent right knee surgery this past fall. He spent last season playing in Japan. We all remember what happened in 2019. He gets called up, interestingly, on Sunday. I want to ask you about that because some of the roster maneuvering, I think, is interesting. And, you know, with Baby Shark and all that, he delivers a double. And and I think it's it's a reminder of this. You know, Gerardo Parra isn't just some dancing gimmick. Gerardo Parra in 2019 was exceptional in the clutch. He was outstanding with runners in scoring position. Gerardo Parra in that 2019 regular season had an on-base percentage of 421, a slugging percentage of 824 with runners in scoring position. Not the OPS, the slugging for Parra with runners in scoring position in that 2019 regular season was 824. So I know people get caught up in the baby shark and the, you know, the post-home run dugout dancing and all that kind of a thing, but like he legitimately delivered two years ago And to see him do this on Sunday like that, I mean, he's obviously two years older. You know, he had the right knee surgery. He's been toiling in the minors this season. He was in Japan last year. And just like that, it's 2019 all over again. It is crazy sometimes how sports can work. It is. And let's also point out, he was not hitting at AAA. He was hitting about 220 there. And he had a grand slam uh, in the ninth inning a few days ago. And I think that partially put him on the Nats' radar for uh, potential for promotion. But he was not like doing a whole lot that you said, oh man, we've got to call him up. We've got to bring his energy here. That was a calculated move to bring him up and install some energy in the clubhouse and in the stands. But at the same time, Davey Martinez knows that he can do it on the field. And I even said to Gerardo when we were interviewing him before the game that yes, he contributes in the clubhouse and that's in some ways his primary purpose, but it only works because he performs on the field. And if you think back to 2019, Right away, he had that big moment at Dodger Stadium, the Grand Slam. And what that did is it earned him credibility. It allows him to now be that guy in the clubhouse that can be a leader, even as a bench player and all that. It's funny. He's actually been with them a few times this year on the taxi squad. as They're allowed, remember, to have players travel with them on the road in case of a last-minute injury or something like that. Instead of calling them up from AAA, they can travel with you. They just can't be in uniform during the games. And Davey said that he wasn't really the same guy. He didn't quite feel like he could be as energetic because he wasn't on the roster. And he said it was the same thing. It's not the same. You have to be in the dugout during the games. You have to feel like you are 
part of the team and actually contributing. And so I think it's vitally important that in order to be the guy that he is off the field, he has to contribute on the field. And that's why that double was so big and everything they did in 2019 was so big. Talk is cheap. You got to back it up with performance. And he has done that. Yeah. And let's be honest, if you keep trying to recreate 2019, it becomes kind of pathetic. Like you have to deliver. And Para clearly delivered on Sunday. Now, with him being called up from AAA Syracuse, his contract being selected, uh, just a couple of questions here. Why Para and not Yadiel Hernandez? And why did the Nats wait until Sunday to add another outfielder? They put Andrew Stevenson on a 10-day injured list on Friday. What was the thinking behind those two things? So it's kind of a convoluted, it's been a convoluted few days for them as they've tried to maneuver their roster through several things that kind of happened in unison. So let's go through them all. Remember, Stevenson hurts his oblique and has to go on the IL. And I think as we now are starting to realize, he's going to be out for a little while. This isn't a quick 10-day comeback situation. Davey said he's not even going to be able to start swinging a bat for at least another week. So it's going to be a while till we see him. So that's the first part of it. The second part, and we didn't realize at the time it was tied in with it, but it really was, was Starlin Castro going on the restricted list. And at the time, I don't think they knew for sure how long he was going to be gone. And so they felt like they needed an infielder more than anything. And so they called up Luis Garcia, thinking that Josh Harrison might have to play some third base now, along with Jordy Mercer, and then Garcia would get some start to second. And they also, because of the double headers and the injuries on the pitching staff, felt like they needed an extra reliever. And so somebody had to go, and that was going to be an outfielder, and that was Yadiel Hernandez. Now, the rule is, if you get sent down, you cannot be called up for 10 more days unless you're replacing an injured player. So they couldn't afford to replace Stevenson right away because of it coincided with the Castro situation. So they couldn't call Yadiel then, which means they have to wait now the full 10 days to call him back up. So that's part of the reason there. The second part is, and we've mentioned this before, Yadiel, at least they don't feel like he can play center field comfortably. And they need somebody in case Robles goes down in the middle of the game to do that. Stevenson obviously was that one. Well, Para, even though it's hard to believe off the knee surgery, but he's been feeling really good lately. He has played some center field at AAA, and they feel like he can do that in a pinch. So all of a sudden, his skills are a better fit for what they need right now than Yadiel Hernandez. I think we will see Yadiel again here at some point. But for now, Gerardo Para was a better fit for them and made the most sense. And so in this kind of convoluted way, because of all those different things that happened at once, they found themselves now at this point where they said, okay, we need a fourth outfielder again. Our infield is set. We can't bring back Yadiel Hernandez yet. And we need somebody who can play center field. Let's give Parra a try. Yeah, it's worth remembering this with Parra. So the Nats got him in May 2019 off him having been designated for assignment by the Giants. He had been really bad for the Giants offensively, but actually had been good for them defensively. So it's actually not shocking what you're saying, that the Nats do like Parra defensively at least more than Yadiel Hernandez. Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. It's great to be in the midst of baseball season. Nothing like watching a game. Great weather, cold drink, and a little action on FanDuel Sportsbook. If you have never bet on baseball before, now is the perfect time to give that a shot. FanDuel is letting new users swing for the fences risk-free as you'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. And once you have an account, you can get up to $25 back each day if your same-game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way, you can combine multiple baseball bets 
for an even bigger win all season long. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. It's got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook Promo code CHAT and games on Monday night include Oakland at Texas at 8.05. The Rangers are last in the AL West, but the Rangers are starting Kyle Gibson. He's good, an ERA of 2.09 on the season. Texas is the play. 21 plus and present Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanal.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 109 with it, Indiana. 100 270 7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 100 Gambler, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia, Tennessee. 800 889 9789 or in West Virginia, visit www.100gambler.net. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. And so David Martinez is going to make the pitching change here. So Corbin, who had given up just one run through six, gives up a homer and a walk here in the seventh, and that's going to be it. So it'll be up to the bullpen from here. And Corbin's going to get a huge ovation as he departs in line for his fifth win. Kyle Schwarber, a hero on Sunday. Para, a hero on Sunday. And yes, Patrick Corbin was a hero on Sunday. We were not expecting anything from Corbin. You know, at this point, it's like he's got to go out and he's got to prove it. We're not going to go gaga over one great outing. And yes, it was a great outing, but it came against the Pirates last Tuesday night, right? Best start of his season, one run, eight in the third inning, seven strikeouts, but that was against the Pirates. Well, Corbin made it back-to-back impressive outings with what he did in the 5-2 win over the Mets at Nats Park on Sunday afternoon. Two runs in six innings, seven strikeouts, gave up four hits, which were two homers and two singles, only issued one walk, Threw 85 pitches, 53 strikes, 
versus 32 balls. The two runs coming on solo homers, two leadoff homers, uh, Kevin Pillar leadoff homer, top of the second. Pete Alonso leadoff homer on a 1-2 pitch in the top of the seventh. I still don't think we can say that Corbin's back or anything like that, but it is nice to see this now. Back-to-back good outings, and especially an outing here against a big boy team against the Mets as opposed to a uh, second division club like the Pirates. This was big. It was a continuation of what he did against the Pirates, and, and here's why I think it was important. It's not just the result. It's how he went about it. Only one walk, and that was the last batter that he faced when he started to get gassed in the seventh inning. He was throwing his fastball at 92 to 94, even topped out at 95, and commanding it in the strike zone and even getting swings and misses off it. Six whiffs between his fastball and his sinker. So that's a nice sign. And then that, as we've talked about for so so many times on this podcast, that then sets up the slider. If the hitter has to respect the fastball, then they have to assume that every pitch is a fastball and then they don't catch the slider and it breaks down and in on the righties and they can't touch that. And so he had another four swings and misses on that. Ten total swings and misses, seven strikeouts in the game, the most he's had in a while. I think he had a nine strikeout game maybe at some point this year. So all of those things came together in a really positive way. And I think, I'm not going to say that's sustainable for sure, but that is a good sign if he's done that back-to-back starts. And like you said, against a better lineup this time. Now let's see, his next one will come against the Marlins. So that could be a favorable matchup as well. So here's maybe a chance for him to get some positive momentum going, start to feel good about himself. And it's not just Corbin, this entire pitching staff, what a homestand for them. Collectively, the rotation This even goes beyond the homestand. It goes back to the end of the last road trip. Last 16 games, the rotation has a 1-8-1 ERA. And again, this is with Scherzer and Strasburg hurt, okay? And then the bullpen, we can get to them too. Without Hudson, during the homestand, they gave up three earned runs in 32 innings. So this pitching staff has become elite. And we can say, oh, well, they were facing some weak lineups. Well, at the end of all that, there's some pretty good hitters they were facing. And we'll see if it continues. Maybe they're not quite this good. But I think we are starting to see a path to victory for this team. And it starts with great pitching, and then you hope to get enough of the hits at the right moments. But both on the front end with the starters and at the back end with the relievers, this staff is pitching like an elite staff now. Yeah, see, to me, I think that's the takeaway from the homestand. Like, the headlines are going to be Baby Shark, okay, fine, and Kyle Schwarber, he's been great, no doubt. But the takeaway is how great the pitching has been, especially with, like you said, no Scherzer, essentially, no Strasburg, no Hudson. And unless I'm misremembering, as Roger Clemens once said, the only bad start the Nats got in this homestand was this most recent Joe Ross start. Every other start was good to great. I mean, Scherzer had the abbreviated start, so, you know, you throw that out. But otherwise, I mean, Lester was good. Corbin was good. Uh, obviously, our guy Paolo Espino was good. Eric Fetty's been very good. Ross was good in his initial outing on the homestand. And then the bullpen. You know, the bullpen over the course of these four games against the Mets, eight scoreless innings. The bullpen did not give up a single run over the course of this series. Three perfect innings from the Nationals' bullpen in this 5-2 win on Sunday afternoon. Kyle Finnegan comes into the game top of the seventh runner on first, gets three outs on five pitches. Yeah, that's the other thing, too. The bullpen's been so economical lately, but Finnegan, three outs on five pitches, 5-3 double play off the bat of pinch hitter Dominic Smith and a three-pitch strikeout of pinch hitter Billy McKinney. Tanner Rainey continued his resurgence with a perfect top of the eighth inning with a couple of strikeouts. So for Rainey now, that's six scoreless and hitless innings over his last six appearances off uh, his ERA ballooning to 10.57 with what he did a few Sundays back, that 12-6 loss 
at the Philadelphia Phillies. Three runs in the bottom of the sixth of that game and that bullpen game. And then the Brad Hand resurgence continued. A perfect top of the ninth, six-pick strikeout of James McCann. Hand now two earned runs in 14 and a third innings over his last 14 appearances. You know, early in the season, we talked about the bullpen being so good. Then there were some hiccups, largely, I think we would agree, due to overusage. Now we're back to the bullpen just killing it. The bullpen has been dominant here. This seems to be the deepest the Nats bullpen has been in a while. And especially with guys like Rainey and Hand, who like you, you know, you're worried about. No, they've gotten back on track here. Even like Sam Clay has been better lately. The pitching is the thing, man. The pitching has been awesome going back over the course of the homestand. And like you said, with the starting pitching, even before the homestand. And here's the key to that. And you mentioned that they're not being overworked. Well, this is how they work in tandem with the rotation. When the starters are finally giving them six or seven innings on a regular basis, it allows Davey to use them how he wants to use them and not overwork them. And now the performances are better. I don't think that's a coincidence. Really, aside from Hand, who I had to pitch in all three games of this series, although one of them was a you know, one-pitch save that we talked about. I put save in air quotes there uh, from Saturday night. Otherwise, everyone else had ample rest. Nobody was taking the mound and he said, oh boy, I don't know if he should be in this game or not. He's kind of on fumes at this point. So when the starters do what they're supposed to do, it makes the bullpen better. And I don't think that's coincidence. I think they go hand in hand, literally with Brad Hand. And in the long run, that's going to make this a better bullpen. They can be effective when they don't, especially the younger guys, when they don't have to keep pitching three out of four days, don't have to keep warming up. The Wander Swero jokes, we haven't had to make that in a long time because he doesn't need to warm up every game because they have enough options and they're not having to use five relievers a game. So I think that is a, a tremendous part of this is when the starters are good, it makes the bullpen better. It is the path to victory. I still don't think we can trust the offense, but the offense did give us back-to-back good games. It's been a while since we'd seen that. We did get that on Sunday, but pitching and defense, that's the thing too, the defense has been so good throughout this season. I mean, rare is the game in which we say, well, you know, this happened defensively, then that happened defensively in terms of negativity. Like, no, the defense has been so sound for so much of the season. That's been a big part of the success here. And the Nationals find themselves now just a mere three games below 500. And there's also this too. You know, we we talk about, you know, no Scherzer lately, no Strasburg, no Hudson. You're still going with Juan Soto not being Juan Soto. So Juan Soto on Sunday does have an extra base hit. He had a one-out double in the bottom of the first. His other hit was a one-out single in the bottom of the seventh. He got on base a lot over the course of this series, but he barely hit for any power like we've been discussing. He ends up going five for 11 with a double, four singles, and four walks in the series. Soto over the course of the 11-game homestand, nine for 34, okay, double, eight singles, and six walks. Got on base a bunch, had one extra base hit, one, and it was a double over the 11 games. Juan Soto, as we speak now, on the season, 406 on base percentage. That's great. But a slugging percentage of just 432. So if Soto can finally get going truly from a power standpoint, you think about what that could mean for the Nationals as they try to rise up here. Here's the number, the pertinent number. Juan Soto has hit eight homers this year. Kyle Schwarber hit nine homers on the homestand. He out-homered him for the season on this homestand alone. Okay, Now that's a reflection both of a ridiculous week for Schwarber, but also a sign of how Soto has not been himself here. Uh, for a while. But I thought this weekend there were good signs. Like you said, getting on base, he's starting to hit the ball in the air a little bit, line drives for singles, going the other way a little bit more. You know, obviously he's got a long way to go. We still got to hit for power, but I think he's in a better place than he was maybe a week ago or so when everything was into the ground. We are starting to see him lift some a little bit more, have some 
you know, loud singles and, and a few doubles. And I also think Trey Turner the last few days has sort of turned it on again. He hit the homer on Saturday. He's getting on base a ton. He's starting to run again on the bases, making that happen. So maybe this Schwarber, Turner, Soto, one, two, three can ultimately pay off for them. And you would hope that that somehow Schwarber can keep up what he's doing. And then Turner and Soto can now take the positives from the last weekend and now take it to another level moving forward. Yeah, Turner on Sunday, single walk and a stolen base. Turner over the course of the four games against the Mets, 7 of 14 with a walk. Hard to complain about that. Had a homer, a double, and five singles. So the Nats do have an off day on Monday. Then comes another big series. This is easy to kind of overlook because of the homestand and the four games against the Mets, but two games at the Philadelphia Phillies, Tuesday night and Wednesday afternoon. And we just talked up the Nationals' great pitching. Well, Max Scherzer is going to be going on Tuesday night. Eric Fetty, we believe, will be going on Wednesday. That's about as good as it gets right now from a starting pitching standpoint from the Nationals. Fetty's got 20 consecutive scoreless innings. Max is coming off injury. You know he's going to be motivated. This will be a big spot against a team in the Phillies that's been better lately. And, you know, the Nats here, the thing about these National League East games, of course, is they are double whammy games, right? When you win them, it's not just a win for you, but it's a loss for an intra-division competitor. Nats can continue to gain ground here in the standings with these upcoming two games at the Phillies. Yeah, this is big because you're now playing the team that's directly in front of you. As we record this, and there's still some games going on on Sunday late afternoon, they have passed the Braves for third place. They are right on the Phillies' heels. They could be in second place by the end of that two-game series if they take care of business at Citizens Bank Park. So this is another opportunity for them to make some ground on the teams that they are now chasing in the division. You know, you're not going to do this all in one shot. I think we saw in 2019, it felt like it happened quick. It really took place over a bunch of weeks for them to get back to where they needed to be. And it took a ridiculous streak that they were on. They played like 700 ball for almost a month to get to that point. That's not conventional. If it happens, it's going to happen slowly. You win two out of three here. You win six out of 10 over longer stretches. But if they can go into Philly, at least win one of the two and maybe win both of them, and now you go to Miami for four games and you got to feel good about your chances of that one. Now you got some real headway that you're making going into now playing the West Coast teams, which is going to be a, a nice, you know, significant test for them. But Scherzer on Tuesday is going to be a big emotional boost for them to have him back. No restrictions for him. He's good to go. He is going to be amped up for that. And Fetty on Wednesday, other than Max, I think he's the guy you feel most confident about now taking the mound, right? I mean, it's a tough ballpark. You know, a lot of home runs in that park. It is still potentially a dangerous lineup. But right now, outside of Max Scherzer, Eric Fetty's the guy I want on the mound. And I think he's feeling it. I think he's feeling as much confidence as he's ever had in the big leagues. And he should. He 100% should. A lot of road games coming up for the Nationals. Two games at the Phillies and four games at the Marlins. Then you do have a stretch of home games, a makeup game against the Mets, two games against the Rays, four games against the Dodgers. But then you close things out before the All-Star break. Four games at the Padres, three games at the Giants. So like I said, stiff competition here. I mean, save for that four-game set at the Marlins. It's one good team after another here down the stretch of the pre-All-Star break portion of the season. But things are coming together, it seems, for the Nationals. Very good homestand. Great job by the Nats. Very good series against the Mets. Awesome job to take three or four in that series. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to become a sponsor of the Nats Chat Podcast. Email the man behind all of this, Tim Shovers. Again, Podcast at gmail.com. Speaking of Shovers, he will be at Walters on Tuesday night 
for game one of this big two-game series at the Phillies. So you'll be able to hang out with Tim. You can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. Tim will be there through the seventh inning, and he has promised me he will do keg stands with anyone who is a Nats (laughs) Chat Podcast listener. So prepare yourself, Tim. I hope you're ready for this. And if you want to do keg stands, uh, Shovers is up for it. He told me this on Tuesday night. So be there at Walters. It's a great spot to watch, you know, not just Nats games, really all sports. Uh, But this will be a lot of fun. The return of Max Scherzer uh, Tuesday night, Walters in D.C., right near Nationals Park. Showovers will be there. Nats Chat Podcast t-shirts will be there for you. You can always order your Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. And as I always say, if you wear your Nats Chat Pod t-shirt to a game, we will cite you. If you tweet out a photo of yourself at Nats Park doing so, we will retweet that. And uh, our guy Jeremy wore a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt behind home plate on Saturday night. He was like the Marlins man sporting his Nats Chat Pod <laughs> t-shirt there behind home plate on Saturday night. Free advertising. You can't beat that. That's amazing. Good job, Jeremy. That is excellent. That is excellent stuff. So we really appreciate that. Uh, all Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. The Nats are rising. It's great to be able to see that. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Horace swings and belts one a deep right. Way back. Going, going. God, goodbye. Off the facing of the second deck and bouncing back down on the field right at the feet of Bryce Harper. Bang, zoom, goes Arado Parra. He's driven in a pair today with his fifth home run of the year. And it's now the Nationals six and the Phillies one.